Today we're on the chapter 5. Seems like we're flying through the book of Ephesians. Mm. Uh, I was privileged to preach the first message in chapter 5. I found it uh, quite a complex passage because Paul is kind of hitting on a number of different topics, so it was a challenge for me to cover everything. Um, but this is my chance to ask the two of you what you thought about this section. So. Well, we, we might just ask you some more questions, Brendan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are one or two things that really stuck out to you? Yeah, I think to me that the key things are really, to me, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Firstly, the fact of being imitators of God. And, you know, when I think about um, what it means to be a Christian, that really captures it all for me, that mm. I am to be an imitator, a mimic of God. And even though I can assure you that I do not uh, do that as often as I would like, that's my goal. So that's what I'm aiming for. So I think that captures it. And then secondly is that word walk. Mm-hmm. And, and I did a quick count up of uh, that word in the book of Ephesians. I think it appears 10 times in the book of Ephesians. Oh, really? Three in this wow. particular passage. Hmm. And that whole idea of walking hmm. is just so critical in terms of the, the Christian life. It's not a destination that we reach per se, but on a day-to-day basis we're walking and we're starting to be the people that God wants us to be. And the section here in Ephesians 5 is just telling us some of the things that are involved in that walk about putting some things around immorality etc aside and living a life in a different way mm. and uh, yes so to me that those concepts of imitators and walking are the key things that came out to me in, in this part here mm. yeah and i think for me i mean it, it, it's just the sheer variety isn't it of the things that paul covers in that passage which made your job quite difficult, Randall. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying, yeah. trying to get trying to get around everything that he that he talks about. Uh, but there's there's so much there, you know, from sexual immorality through to not getting drunk, through to um, I, I was quite captured with the the um, bit on worship at the end that he talks around um, in verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit, which I think is interesting. And I understand that he uses those terms in particular ways that psalms are obviously a reference back to the book of psalms and it's sort of a little window into how the early church worshipped i think that they had the book of psalms there and they drew on those and and that was part of their worship as well and then hymns i think are more the teaching of the apostles that are sort of made into poetry music ways that the church could understand them and, and use them in their corporate worship and then songs from the spirit kind of more taps into those songs that we would sing from our heart even maybe spontaneously uh just that really capture our heart and our affections for uh, Jesus, and you kind of think in our own context of worship, we we probably do a little bit of all three of those. You know, there's there's times we draw from the Psalms in our worship. There's times that our songs are more um, more almost more teaching focused. Some of those some of those old hymns or some of those songs that are a bit more wordy that really discover the doctrine of the Christian faith and music. And then sometimes very simple refrains that we sing from our heart that are not wordy at all, but just capture the heart. So I quite like that. To me, it's a little mm. window into the way the church worshipped and continues to provide some direction for us as we worship today as Christians and as the church. Yeah, and I really like the way he put that, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, mm. and songs of mm. the Spirit, not singing to one another. Right. right. See? Yes. <laughs> just, it doesn't have to be, mel- doesn't have to be melodious. That, that's the key. Yeah. Key to that passage, yes. But uh, I think, Michael, you mentioned in your message how Paul kind of seems to just um, have a fleeting thought that he pulls in and he's kind of all over the place at times. And I found the same thing with this passage, like that that thought in verse, uh, where was it? Verse 18, 
oh yeah, and don't get drunk on wine, he says, you know. It mm. almost seemed kind of random in that place. Mm. But if you put it in the whole context of his thoughts there at the end of chapter 4 about our behaviors, and then he's kind of just continuing those thoughts about these random thoughts about behavior and Christian morality and how mm. that all builds together. Mm. And, and I think just, just to <clears> climb on that, <throat> that, that, that phrase around don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, I think it it's, sometimes gets taken in a, in, a, in, a, in a funny direction, I think. We, we almost assume Paul saying, don't, don't sort of become out of control with wine, but become out of control with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, but I think it's a, it's a contrast that yeah, Paul's creating yeah, to right. say, don't, don't sort of lose control of yourself with wine, but the Spirit actually comes and brings a certain... Uh, order, I think, and and helps us live well and live yeah. rightly. So yeah. it's not that sense of the spirit taking us in some wild and crazy direction. I think there's a contrast with yeah losing control of ourselves and then the spirit actually giving us proper control of ourselves and our lives and our behaviour. Yeah, and he's also not saying don't drink wine. No, no, it's not. Like, it's not a prohibition. Michael, you're you're right in that sense that I feel like uh, verse one really was a follow-on. A continuation of his thoughts and, and almost a wrapping up of it is saying the key here is to follow God's example yeah. and and everything seemed to kind of flow off of that actually because yeah. when I look at what it means to be a follower of Christ somebody walking in Christ I mm. would say what does it involve well it involves worshiping God which we talked about it involves living a godly life which means putting aside certain things and doing certain things and it means living in good relationships with other people. And basically, this is what's captured in this section here on Ephesians 5. Mm. It's what it means to walk in Christ. He could have just said it that way and not used so many words. <laughs> could have wrapped it up in one sentence. Paul was yeah. not good at saying things clearly and succinctly, though, was That's he? right. It's great. So, yeah. very good. Any other concluding thoughts on that one? Well, I, th- I think just that, uh, that idea of following Christ's example, it's always good to remember that that, that idea of Christ is our example, um, but he's our example because he's our saviour. You know, like when we think of Jesus, he's more than just an example for us to follow. Um, but I think that ties us back to the previous passage where we this comes out of the new identity that we have in Jesus. He, he's, he's saved us. He's given us an entirely new identity. And so out of that now, he becomes our example. We follow him uh, not just because he was a good man who lived in a good way, and therefore he's a good moral example for us, but because he saved us from sin. You know, he's done this incredible thing, given us an entirely new life, given us eternal life. Yeah. And that's why then we follow him in our behavior, in our lives. So I wish I would have followed up with my studies on this a little bit more, but it's kind of a random thought here. That following God's example, do you equate that exactly with following Christ's example, or is there a specific reasoning why he would have used God's example instead of Christ's example in that sense? Well, I think in a sense he does both, doesn't he? Because you've got follow God's example, and then verse 2 he goes straight to Christ, walking yeah, the way does, of yeah. love, yeah. as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So in in some sense, I think it's it's same, both same ends. Yeah, the, uh, the overriding example is to follow in the way of love, yeah. you know, as you brought yeah, out in your, yeah. in your message, which is the way that Christ has demonstrated for us, his way of love. He's loved us. He's given himself up for us. And that's ultimately the example. I think so much of when Paul draws on Christ's example, uh, he's not thinking so much of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, because, of course, Paul wasn't an eyewitness to all of that, but he's thinking of Christ's act of what happened on the cross that act of mm. giving himself the big up big picture yeah yeah and so much so and so he's, he's yeah. always talking you know lay, lay your, lay, give, give yourselves up for one another mm. it's that self-giving love it's dying with christ 
Um, that's the big picture. Yeah, because of course he would have been speaking to a lot of Gentiles that didn't have that Jewish right, background, that right. Jewish understanding. They didn't have that story. Yep. Yeah. So he has to fill in the pieces yeah, for definitely. them. Yeah. What really stood out to me was that everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And I just thought that's a profound way of, of speaking in terms of when the light of Christ comes into your life, you uh, are not just reflecting that light, that you become a light to the world as well, that you are a light. Mm. And then he talks about that, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, that sense of which it's a, it's a resurrection of your spiritually dead life mm. when you come to Christ. Mm. Yep. I think that's an important way to look at it. It's a yep. profound and deep thing that's happening when that light comes mm, into your yeah, life. Yeah. And, and it's a great reminder that we're called to this life not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of the world, for the sake yeah. of those that are still yeah. living in darkness. And as we, mm. we pursue that light in our lives and we pursue the righteousness of Christ and we pursue holiness, it, it, it has an effect on the darkness. You know, the light shines in the darkness and, and, and others look on and they see and they watch and it illuminates something. And we trust that, you know, there's actually this dimension of our evangelism, our mission that happens as we pursue Christ because I think it does raise questions in the minds of others. And sometimes, Lord willing, draw them to Christ. You know, it, it shines a little bit of life, a little bit of light in people's lives. And who knows, that may just be something that triggers some curiosity with other people. So it's always good to think about that dimension of our Christian living as well. Mm. Let's move on to chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, the, the uh, message that you preached this past Sunday, Reuben. I was thinking in today's world that, uh, a word like submit is pretty controversial. So <laughs> sure is. You took on a lot there. But I think you handled that passage really well. And you seem to focus on two words, respect mm. and love. Mm. But this passage also hinged around the lordship of Jesus Christ and his love for us as mm. well. So mm. are there any other thoughts that you and Michael wanted to add to this passage? I think to me one of the key things that Reuben brought out, which is so critical to understanding this, and I even double-checked my Greek New Testament just to make sure Reuben was right. But this passage actually starts in verse 21. And most of our English texts start in verse 22. And so therefore I think it means that we tend to have the wrong emphasis. But it actually starts in verse 21. And the whole idea there is that we submit to one another because of our relationship with Christ. And I think if we start talking about the relationships, whether it be with our with our spouse or whether it be with our children or whether it be other people in the church and realize that ultimately it's submitting to one another in reverence to Christ. It puts things in a slightly different light. In fact, the word submit actually isn't even in verse 22, Uh, but we make often a big deal about it. But the key thing there, as Christians, we submit to one another out of our love for Christ. Mm. Yep. That's right. And, and the controversy in this passage, and maybe this is a good time to unpack it a little bit more, is, is around that word head, and that's what trips a lot of people up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where a lot of the debate is. Uh, and it's 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 useful for people to know. I mean, the difficulty with that is that the word's a metaphor. It's not talking about a literal head. It's talking in some sense that we are to be the head. Uh, and the you, know, you can get some clues from the way that word is used in broader culture. Sometimes it means authority other times it means more the source like the head of a river 
Uh, and the other clue we get is from Scripture, because the word is used to describe the relationship between Jesus and the church, that Christ is the head of the church. And so people take that in different ways. Some people uh, see that as an indication that marriage is intended to be uh, a little more hierarchical, with the husband in a position of authority, uh, and maybe taking more of a lead, therefore, in decision-making and things like that. Uh, other people see it as um, more of inequality, uh, equality, that is unity between husband and wife. Uh, and that there's it, there's unity between head and the body, and there's unity between husband and wife. But I think the point that I would make is, whichever way you go on that, the practicalities of love and respect are still the same. You know, and I just I don't I wouldn't want people to feel like, well, I have this particular view of you know marriage is supposed to be uh, hierarchical or it's supposed to be egalitarian, and therefore this does or doesn't apply to me. Because I think. The reality is either way you go with interpreting the head and the body metaphor, you still do end up in the same place in terms of the practicalities of what Paul's calling us to. He's still calling wives to respect their husbands, and he's still calling husbands to love their wives. So yeah. we can't get around it. We're all we're all uh, implicated by that. You know, We're all yeah. called to that task, however we might interpret the details of it. It kind of goes with the greatest commandment that Jesus said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, mm. and love your neighbors yourself. It's a sense in which... Are you doing that within your relationships, um, both your relationships with your spouses, but also yep. just your wider relationships? Yep. Like you said, Michael, submit to one another first. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, to pick up on your point as well, that, that uh, verse 21 is it is the it is the head of the it is the, the, the heading of this passage. Yep. But it's also the heading of the entire household code in Ephesians right. that carries yeah. on into chapter 6 yep. as well. Yeah. So when you get into children and parents and slaves and masters, there's still that, that overall idea that we are to be submissive to one another. And it's going to look different, obviously. Parents are not called to submit to children in the same way you know, as children obey parents. So it looks different in every context, but there's that overarching idea of um, that spirit of being willing to think of the other person ahead of ourselves, being willing to put the needs of the other person ahead of ourselves, to consider them before we consider ourselves. And yeah. that, to me, is the common thread yeah. that weaves yeah. its way through all these relationships Paul's going to talk about. And really, in today's society, even beyond and outside of the church, <coughs> you just don't hear the word submit very much anymore. The people, people are very self-driven mm. and not inclined to submit to anyone yeah. or anything, for yeah. that matter. Yeah. But uh, in your studies, do you do you think that the word respect can be supplemented for that word submit, or is there a greater context within the original language? Uh, I, I think in terms of how we apply it, yes. I think you've got to allow for the fact that Paul is a man of his own day, and he's speaking yeah. into his own culture, and he's speaking into a very patriarchal cult culture. And to some degree, I think he accepts that. And the slavery would have been part of that. Exactly, and exactly well. right. And we'll yeah. get to that. And he doesn't—he doesn't argue for um, abolition of slaves. You know, he doesn't come out and say that either. He works within the context that he finds himself. So, I think you can expect to hear that language that we're going to find quite patriarch, quite jarring in some ways. But that's why I think, as we apply it in our modern context, it's good to use that word respect because I think it's still faithful to what Paul says. I don't think we're taking liberties right. with that. I think he, he says it right there. And that verse 33, that is a summary of everything that he's said to this point. He brings it all together. So I think, well, he uses the word respect there. So that's uh, a pretty good indication of what he's thinking about when he thinks about submit. So, yeah, I think so. And I think it also just gets us away maybe from some of that cultural baggage that we hear when we think submit in a very, very hierarchical way. I mean, we think of almost like a slave or servant kind of role when we think of submitting. 
but I think respect just helps us understand it's not that. It's it's much more relational than that. Yeah. And as you brought in in your sermon, is that this was actually countercultural for what was happening in mm. Paul's day anyway? That yeah. you know, in this particular time when Ephesians was written, the place of woman was you know really really low in society. Yep. So actually, Paul was elevating the place of woman. Yep. And showing the fact that the wife actually does have an important place within the marriage relationship, and that it just it really put things on its head in terms of the way that the woman would be treated in that society yep. compared to what Paul was trying to say that they should be doing. So, yep. so we might look at it as a, like trying to oppress woman, whereas an actual fact in the culture, yes, he was elevating woman and giving them a special place considering what they were like in the rest of exactly, society. Exactly, exactly right, yeah. We, we look at this through our own cultural lens, yeah. and it might look a little bit more yeah. repressive than yeah. we than we yeah. feel comfortable yeah. with. But you're right, when you set it against its own culture, yeah. this is several steps forward in terms of yeah. lifting up women. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is yeah. a household code, and there were other household codes floating around in the ancient world, and they had a very low view of women. I mean, women were really not much more than property and chattels. For their for yep. their men yep. to do whatever they wanted with, so and it was the same with slaves and masters, parents and children. So when you when you put this next to other household codes in the Greco-Roman world, this is a real step towards equality and affirming the weaker partner, and lifting up the one that didn't have power often, uh, and really giving dignity, I think, to both yep. parties. Um, so yeah, absolutely right to see it against that cultural background helps us understand what Paul's saying. It's important to keep scripture within the cultural context of the day that is written, mm. but also within the context of scripture itself. Yep. And so I don't think that you can see this passage separate from what Paul was saying earlier in chapter 5, follow God's example yeah. of walking in love. Yep. And are you doing that in your relationships yes. with your spouse or yep. in your relationships with others? Yes, Yep. exactly right. Mm. Anything else to add to that section? It's probably enough for now. Very I think good. So. Yep. Yeah. Good. Thanks, guys. Look okay. forward to the next one. All right.